Hello, I'm Andrew, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 31st of January 2024. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading for you this week, we have myself, Andrew, Angela, Ian, Christine, Helen, Pete, Mina, Mary, Simon, and of course, flashback, Roger. In this week's edition, we have an update from Beacon, including the Lifestyle Newsletter for February, the quiz with Mina. We have the latest news for the Black Country. All the latest football news from Wolves and West Brom. A Did You Know section from Flashback Roger. Hopefully Mina can bring us a much milder forecast with the weather for the week ahead. And we also have another fabulous cook-along session in this edition for you too. Local news to start though with Ian. But first, Christine... A new state-of-the-art robotic arm is helping to transform knee and hip replacement surgeries in the black country. The Dudley Group NHS Foundation Trust has joined a small number of NHS trusts nationally to have the new equipment. The Striker Mako robot allows for more accurate positioning of the new joint than conventional surgeries leading to improved long-term outcomes for patients such as reduced pain, better mobility and faster recovery times. The robot-assisted procedure also increases the longevity of the implant, making it less likely that patients will need further surgery in the future. A preoperative CT scan of the patient's hip or knee is taken in order to create a 3D model of the joint. With the help of a MACO product specialist, surgeons use the 3D model to create a detailed implant plan to determine the exact amount of bone excision to be carried out by the robotic arm in the operation. The MACO robot also gives real-time feedback during the procedure, enabling surgeons to assess the tension of the joint and fine-tune soft tissue balancing whilst they are operating which is essential for optimal function of the joint. Sohal Qureshi, consultant orthopaedic surgeon, said, The aim of surgery is to reduce pain and restore normal function to the joint. With the MACO robot, we can greatly improve the alignment of the implant, 
reducing the possibility of the patient experiencing pain after surgery and restoring the anatomy fully so that they can go on to enjoy physical activities after they recover. The MACO robot was installed as part of a procurement partnership with Stryker at no cost to the trust. The MACO robot was first used in December 2023 with several more procedures carried out since. Diane Wake, Chief Executive of the Dudley Group NHS Foundation Trust said, It is fantastic to be able to offer such an innovative treatment to our patients. The MACO robot will help us transform the lives of those with even the most complex cases of arthritis and I am very proud that we can deliver that care here in Dudley. From a robotic arm to a helping hand. As Oppenheimer takes 13 nominations in this year's Oscars, a local historian said a little-known Shropshire scientist was instrumental in the creation of the world's first atomic bomb that inspired the film. Christopher Nolan's biopic of the head of the Manhattan Project took 13 Oscar nominations last Tuesday and looks set to sweep the floor at this year's Academy Awards. However, Bridge North historian Clive Gwilt said a Bridge North scientist and academic was instrumental in the success of the Manhattan Project. Mr. Gwilt, who has authored numerous books centred on the market town's history, said Dr. Ernest Titterton was a senior scientist and a music master at Bridge North Grammar School. He said, shortly after the outbreak of war in September 1939, which he was actively engaged in until November 1943, in 1943, Titterton joined the Manhattan Project's Los Alamos Laboratory where he helped develop the first atomic bombs. He eventually became one of the laboratory's group leaders. He was chosen to proceed to the USA by Sir James Chadwick to assist with the production of the atom bomb and hydrogen bombs, said Mr. Gwilt. Titterton's role in the Manhattan Project was instrumental in creating timing circuits used to track the progress of an implosion. When Robert Oppenheimer reorganized the Las Alamos laboratory to focus on implosion, Titterton became a senior member and was at the Trinity nuclear test that fired the first atomic weapon at Alamogordo, New Mexico. Titterton wrote about his experience of witnessing the first A-bomb test following the war and said, I was in the main control dugout 10,000 yards from the bomb and it was the most fantastic and frightening thing I have ever seen. Indeed, if the nations cannot henceforth live in peace then there is little doubt that the end of the world is in sight. Returning to England, Titterton joined the Atomic Energy Research Establishment in Harwell, Oxfordshire. The father of three was seriously hurt in a car accident in September 1987 and died three years later, aged 73. Up next, we hear from Helen who, as usual, has our latest Beacon update. 
Hi everyone, it's Helen from the Beacon Centre, back with your weekly update of everything that's been going on. Now, I don't know about you, but I am glad it's been a little warmer this week, although I am definitely ready for a break from all these storms. Now, as always, there's been lots happening at Beacon, so let's get straight to it. First up, are you looking for a new career opportunity? We're recruiting casual care and support workers, and if you're compassionate, reliable, and experienced, this could be the role for you. To find out more about this flexible working opportunity, visit our website www.beaconvision.org forward slash jobs or call us on 01902 880 Now, did you want to try something new this new year? Well, if you're still to brave the unknown as we head towards the end of January, why not take the plunge and join one of our regular swimming sessions? You can find out more on our website, www.beaconvision.org or call us on 01902-880-111. Now, calling all Dudley residents. Are you living with sight loss and curious about Braille? Well, why not dive into our free eight-week beginners course starting in February at our Sedgley Centre. You can learn the basics, plus get hands-on with Braille writing tools. Limited spots are available. Call our reception on 01902 880 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org for more information. And last this week, we are delighted to be partnering with our friends, Samwell Visually Impaired, to provide tailored volunteer opportunities and community activities for blind and partially sighted people living in Samwell. Whether you want to find a job that works for you or just get out and about to try something new, we can help. Call us on 01902-880-111 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for that update, Helen. Next up, we have another block of local news. And up first, we hear from Christine. The theatre is hosting regular touch tours to help visually impaired people engage with its shows. At the Wolverhampton Grand Theatre's sessions, people can go on stage, touch props and scenery and talk to actors before a show. The theatre hosted a Snow White touch tour for children this month and plans two others in the coming weeks. It just paints a picture for them of what's happening on stage, said Remy Lloyd, the theatre's head of outreach. 24 families attended the Snow White Touch Tour, where children could handle props such as apples, magic wands and a cauldron while staff described them. They were so excited. When they realised they could walk onto the stage, their mouths dropped, Lloyd said. They just didn't want to leave. The children then watched the show in a special performance where they could listen on headphones to a description of what was happening on stage. The theatre tries to put on free touch tours for all its major shows, with one session last weekend for the musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie and another next month for the Rocky Horror Show. 
The theatre works with the charity Guide Dogs UK to find people who wish to attend. Many theatres are trying to be more accessible by offering some shows with audio descriptions, sign language or relaxed performances that have several adaptations for people with additional needs. But it can also be hard for some venues to afford or arrange these services. The sessions help visually impaired audiences to prepare for the show, theatre staff said. A lot of venues don't offer touch tours because it can be logistically tricky, but it's important, said Lloyd. The sessions help visually impaired audiences to prepare for the show because there can be a lot to take in during the performance itself, Lloyd explained. It brings their experience up to the level of the sighted audience, she said. To help further understanding and raise awareness of the importance for initiatives such as this, the Thomas Pocklington Trust, TPT, a charity supporting visually impaired people, are organising an event in Parliament to brief MPs on visual impairment needs. You can help maximise attendance by encouraging your local MP to go along to the event in March so that they understand more about visual impairment priorities in this general election year. Let's head over to Soundings contributor Anne, who can tell us more. Hello, this is Anne with an item from the Thomas Pocklington Trust, taken from their website, pocklington.org.uk. Are blind and partially sighted people on your MP's agenda? 2024 will be a big year in British politics, with a general election all but certain to take place. But will blind and partially sighted people be on your MP's agenda? To make sure the voice of blind and partially sighted people is front and centre, we're organising an event in Parliament on Wednesday 20th of March 2024. And we need your help to get your local MP there. At the event, MPs will be able to take part in interactive sessions with blind and partially sighted people and our expert teams that highlight our key campaigns on visually impaired voting, to make sure that blind and partially sighted people can vote in the general election accessibly, privately and independently, making health accessible, to make sure that vital health information is an accessible format and that essential eye health treatments are available when needed, transport, to make buses, trains and taxis inclusive of blind and partially sighted people, Education, to unlock education for blind and partially sighted students. Streets, to highlight the importance of accessible streets and the problems caused by e-scooters, A-boards and other street obstacles. Employment, to show the value of accessible technology and the importance of schemes like access to work in getting blind and partially sighted people into work. We'll also be asking MPs to make the Pocklington Pledge, which is, I promise to fight for accessible health, transport and streets for blind and partially sighted people. Help us take action by writing to your MP. 
we need you to invite your local MP to attend the event and find out more about how they can help us change the world for the better. With the much-anticipated general election expected during 2024, there has rarely been a more important time for us to speak to politicians about the priorities for blind and partially sighted people. TNF Soundings Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. In what novel does Starbuck appear as first mate? Question 2. What was Mr. Costa's first name? Question 3. In what year did John Boot open his first shop? Question 4. What was Michael Mark's first slogan? Question 5. What was the proper name for what we called Woolies? And finally, question six. In what year did Greg's stop selling loaves of bread? I will be back with you later in the show to give you all your answers. But for now, best of luck. Cheers for those questions, Mina. Mm, I'll get my mind working on them. Up now, however, is another block of local news. A much-loved brand that has been resurrected by a Staffordshire-based biscuit giant has sparked an online spurt of support for the favourite. Hundreds of comments from shoppers have flooded social media sites in recent days over sports biscuits, with some commercially-minded biscuit lovers even buying packs in bulk and selling them on online auction sites. The brand, first launched in 1971, before being discontinued in June 2022, is now back on shelves thanks to a 116-year-old biscuit company, Elks, based in Staffordshire. The biscuits were a much-loved supermarket fixture in the 1970s and 1980s, 
Invented by West Yorkshire-based biscuit product developer David Glenn, the treats originally bore simple stick figures depicting boxers, rowers, footballers and cricketers on the front of the rectangular-shaped biscuit. Baking technology improved over time and since 2005 they had been baked at the Elks factory in Staffordshire using a unique brass moulding technique to reproduce much fuller detailed images compared to their more basic 1970s counterparts. The original sports cricketer, footballer and tennis player are still in the packs amongst new additions including a racing car driver, cyclist and skateboarder. The biscuits are based on the same shortcake recipe unchanged since 2005. Site General Manager Kevin Hand said, We've had a tremendous reaction to the relaunch of sports biscuits and are delighted that biscuits fans, both old and young, seem to love them. It's great that having retained both the recipe and mouldings, we can spark that interest once again. And I know there's great pride among the team that we're making something much loved and close to people's hearts. I think Elks is a fantastic place to work and I would urge the local community to consider whether they'd like to be part of a 116-year-old success story in making products that everyone loves. Sports are currently available to buy at Aldi and Farm Foods stores nationwide. Now then, there's nothing better than a Boston brew to go alongside a biscuit or two. I think I'm going to get myself a cup of tea with a dash of milk and two sugars. Or should that be one sugar and one salt? How we make the perfect cuppa can be an intensely individual experience. But I think it's fair to say we know a thing or two when it comes to making a good cup of tea. What with a good cuppa being a cultural institution with an estimated 100 million cups being drunk every day. However, a scientist based more than 3,000 miles away in the US claims to have found the secret to a perfect cuppa that many of us would initially find absolutely absurd adding salt. Professor Michel Frankel's research has caused quite a stir and has even drawn a diplomatic intervention from the US Embassy. We want to assure the good people of the UK that the unthinkable notion of adding salt to Britain's national drink is not official United States policy and never will be, the Embassy said on X, formerly known as Twitter. It is not the first time the drink has caused controversy on both sides of the Atlantic. Back in 1773, demonstrators in Boston, colonial Massachusetts, threw 300 chests full of tea into the harbour in protest at British taxes, a key moment which sparked the American Revolution. I certainly did not mean to cause a diplomatic incident, Professor Frankel, a professor of chemistry at Bryn Mawr College in Pennsylvania, tells the BBC. My emails have been going crazy today. I did not anticipate waking up this morning to see loads of people talking about salt in their tea. So Christine, why add salt? Well Ian, it turns out that it is not a new idea. The ingredient is even mentioned in 8th century Chinese manuscripts, which Professor Francel analysed to perfect her recipe. What is new is our understanding of it as chemists, Professor Franzel said. 
She explains that salt acts as a blocker to the receptor which makes tea taste bitter, especially when it has been stewed. By adding a pinch of table salt, an undetectable amount, you will counteract the bitterness of the drink. It is not like adding sugar. I think people are afraid they will be able to taste the salt. She urges tea-loving Brits to have an open mind before prejudging her research, which she has documented in her new book, Steeped, The Chemistry of Tea, published by the Royal Society of Chemistry. It is okay to experiment, she says. I did experiments in my kitchen for this. Channel your inner scientist. <laughs> Professor Francel has loved tea ever since her mother made her first brew when she was 10 years old. Everyone has their own opinion on what makes the perfect cuppa, but Professor Francel recommends using loose leaves instead of tea bags and giving the drink a constant stir so the tea gets a good exposure to the water and milk. Adding a small squeeze of lemon juice can also remove the scum that sometimes appears on the surface of the drink, she adds. Other suggestions she makes include using short, stout mugs to keep the tea hotter and warming up the mug and milk, with the latter added in only after pouring the tea. But chief among her advice is to never, ever heat up the water in a microwave. It's less healthy and it does not taste as good, Professor Francel says. You end up getting tea scum forming on the surface and that scum contains some of the antioxidants and taste compounds. While the concept of microwaving tea might sound a bit alien in the UK, it is totally common in the US. Americans have some truly awful tea-making habits, Professor Francel says. I have had better cups of tea at service stations in Ireland than I've had at fancy restaurants in the US. I think it's just that people do not know how to make a good cuppa. If you do not drink tea, you do not know you are making a horrible cup of tea for someone and giving them a miserable experience. She says she loves coming to the UK where she knows she will be able to locate a decent brew. I know when I land, I can get a great cup of tea. It is good to have that common ground, she says. So, what next for British-American tea relations? The US Embassy is not heeding Professor Fransall's advice and says it will stick to what it calls the proper way of making tea by microwaving it, while the UK Cabinet Office is adamant it can only be made using a kettle. Up next in this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another bake-along session written and presented by Penny Melville-Brown, who is also known as the Blind Baker. This bake-along provides both the recipe and instructions in an entertaining and encouraging manner to bring the joy of home baking to all listeners, regardless of their level of sight. So, ready or not, here it crumbs! Hello everyone and welcome to 2024. I wanted to welcome this new year with a bit of a challenge because if like me you haven't really cooked anything formal like a roast dinner for ages because you're a bit worried about it, 
this might be a way of trying it out. And I'm just going to do a very simple, basic starter for 10 roast chicken lunch. And so for this, you're going to need a lidded box. I would normally use a four litre ice cream box. That's like the ones you get in the shops. They're quite big and they will take a chicken. I want a couple of roasting trays. I want a small bowl. I particularly want a meat thermometer probe. And I've got a talking one that I got from RNIB, but they are doubtless available from other locations. And I forgot to mention, I want a saucepan to boil some potatoes too. Okay, so here go the ingredients. And this is just for our roast potatoes and our roast chicken. So I'm going to start off with a chicken. And I'm just going to get one that's a fairly reasonable, small to medium size chicken. I want about 60 grams of salt, a splash of hot water, and a litre of cold water. We're going to use that to make the brine. And then some butter. I use about 60 grams, a couple of ounces. And I'm going to add to that chopped fresh herbs, rosemary, thyme, whatever you've got in the garden, perhaps there's some parsley, some tarragon, um, the zest of a lemon, the juice of a lemon, and I'm going to use some salt and pepper as well. For the roast potatoes, as always, very simple, just those potatoes, 500 grams, peeled and chopped into reasonable same size pieces, and then we're going to need some goose fat or duck fat or olive oil, about 50 or 60 grams. And so that's not a really very complicated group of ingredients to get together. And then we're going to prepare it. And the key to this preparation is we start the day before. So we break the back of all this cooking, perhaps on the Saturday, if you're going to do a Sunday lunch. And then on the last day, on the Sunday, you pop everything in the oven and it all comes to goodness together. So let's start the preparation. The first thing I'm going to do is take that 60 grams of salt and pop it in my lidded, probably plastic box that's going to go in the fridge. Into that box, I'm going to add a splash of hot water from the tap or from the kettle. And I just want that to start dissolving the salt. And then I'm going to pour in a litre of cold water. And that makes my 60% brine into which I'm going to put my chicken. So here comes the chicken. And most chickens come these days all neatly trussed with bits of elastic holding their legs, neatly crossed positions. That's not what we want at all. We want to take off all the wrapping, all the elastic that's holding the chicken together and set it sitting into our box. We're going to put it in breast down, but with its thighs well apart. Some people might know the concept of man-spreading. That's what we want. All these bits of chicken well apart so that now the brine can get well into them. And tomorrow when we cook it, all the heat can get into them. So there we go. There's the chicken done. Slap on the lid, pop it in the fridge, leave it there overnight. Now, if I've got my potatoes, I'm going to pop them into my saucepan, cover them with some cold water and a little bit of salt, bring them up to the simmer and just let them simmer for perhaps five minutes. I don't want to overcook them. These are just going to be parboiled. Meanwhile, I'm going to mix together my butter 
and some herbs, um, salt and pepper. Get those herbs well chopped up. Might be a bit of parsley, thyme, rosemary, whatever else you've got in the garden, or perhaps some dried herbs. Mix them up with the butter, with the zest of a lemon and the juice of a lemon. And then you have got the butter that you're going to put under the skin in the chicken. That can be covered and put in the fridge. Now, here comes the potatoes. They should have parboiled by now. Drain them off. And you want a second roasting tin here. And what I'm going to do in this roasting tin is put in about 50 to 60 grams. That could be of olive oil or it could be of goose fat or duck fat. And then I'm going to put in the hot potatoes which have been drained. And you're going to spread those potatoes around the base of that container. You want to turn the potatoes over. So if you've got fingers like mine that can manage the heat, I'll just turn them over with my fingers, or you can use a spoon and just get them really well coated. And those are the potatoes ready for tomorrow. So what I'm going to do now is I might be using um, for this a foil dish and put a cardboard lid on the top. Or perhaps it's one of my metal roasting tins. And I'm just going to put, again, a layer of foil over the top, pop it into the fridge, and there it is ready for tomorrow. Okay, now we're coming to the day of our lunch. So this takes getting up fairly early. I would normally start this at about eight o'clock in the morning. But once you've got it done at eight, you can go off and do whatever you like for the rest of the day. So I switch my oven on. If it's an electric oven, you want it switched to about 70 or 75 degrees Celsius. I know that sounds very low. On my gas oven, I'm switching it to slow or perhaps even a quarter. It's a very low temperature. So that's happily going along. Then I take my chicken out of the fridge and it's in its box of water. Take off the lid, empty out all the liquid, throw all of that away. And then I put my chicken into a roasting tin. I'm spreading out its legs, the thighs. So do you remember we talked about man spreading? We want the wings spread out as well. And we want the breast facing us. And we're going to take that delicious mix of butter, herbs, lemon, salt and pepper. And we're going to press that between the skin and the flesh of the breast. So it may be going down both sides of the breastbone, pushing it down, patting it down until you've got it nicely spread out. And it'll melt as you press it in, in, into the flesh. If you've got some leftover, pop it into the cavity of the bird. And there you have it. There is your chicken ready for roasting. And that's going to go into the oven at that very low temperature. It's going to take something between two and three hours to reach 70 to 75 degrees Celsius on your meat thermometer. So pop it in and then you can walk away. It's worth setting your timer for perhaps two hours, two and a half hours and going back to see whether that meat is cooking for you. You're going to find that this is a very succulent, moist roast chicken. So here it comes at about two and a half hours. Got your meat probe and you're going to open up the door and pull the meat probe and press it into, let's go for the thickest part of the thigh. And you're going to press it in and you'll hear it running up the temperatures. And if it gets to 72, 73, 
That's pretty good. Just make sure that the tip of your probe is not touching bone because the bone conducts heat and that will be at a different temperature, a higher temperature than the meat around it. Let's do another check, perhaps on another thigh, pop in that meat probe and listen to it coming up to temperature. Has it got to 70, 72? Sounding good. Bit more is not a problem. You could also check on the thickest part of the breast meat. And again, is that working? Pop the probe in, listen to it, make sure you're happy. If it's got to that over 70, you're done. If it's not, simply take the probe out, close up the oven, give it another 20, 30 minutes and do it all over again. You need to make sure you are happy. But let's now assume that you've got all of that right and out comes your chicken in its roasting tray. And what we want to do now is put it on top of the oven, somewhere nice and safe, well away so you can't knock it over. Cover it with a good sheet of kitchen foil and then with a proper kitchen towel. Because what you want to do is now keep it warm for about an hour because we're going to cook the roast potatoes now. What we're going to do with the chicken is while it sits there, it's regathering its temperature. It's reabsorbing all the liquids that it's been cooking in. So it'll be succulent and moist before we put it in the oven for a final cook for the final bronzing of the skin. Okay, those roast potatoes. Ideally, we got them out a bit earlier so they were coming back to room temperature. We're going to turn the oven up to at least 200 degrees Celsius, about gas mark six. Give it a blast of temperature and then pop your potatoes in once you've uncovered them from the fridge. So you've just got a roasting tray with potatoes and your oil or your goose or your duck fat. Whack it in the oven, 45 minutes. I would suggest you put the timer on for about 30 minutes and give them a turn after that time. Go back again after 45 minutes. Check whether you can hear them. Are they sounding crisp and nice? Are they all crackling and spitting with, with the oil? Don't forget, this is going to be a pretty hot container to bring out of the oven. So make sure you've got a heatproof mat somewhere that you can put it on, that you're protected with gloves. Put that pan of potatoes down and then you can prepare to finish your chicken. So with the chicken, I'm going to remove that towel. Going to remove that foil, pop it back into that hot oven, which is still at 200 degrees Celsius, still at gas mark six. Pop it in there for about five minutes. You're just looking to smell that the skin is caramelizing, starting to crisp. You will be then be able to bring it out and you're ready to carve. So there you go. Roast chicken with roast potatoes. And you've got all the time while the chicken is cooking to prepare vegetables, or you can do them the day before. You can cook your vegetables while the potatoes are cooking. You just put them in the microwave, put them in a steamer to cook. And so everything is ready. And you've got some delicious, buttery, lemony, herby juices at the bottom of the chicken pan to pour over as a gravy. It's a great way of making chicken. And of course, once you've taken it off the bones, um, you've got chicken for the rest of the week and any leftover potatoes too. So it's a really simple way of cooking a special lunch for you and your friends and your family and your neighbours. So I hope you give it a try. Thank you very much.
Good luck with it. If you've got ideas or suggestions for future recipes, please get in touch with me. You can always make contact through my website, www.pennymelvillebrown.com. Bye-bye. Up next, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Take it away, Roger. Hello again everyone. Well January's done and dusted and a trip down the high street got me thinking about the origins of some of our well-known shops. So here goes then. Now then, did you know that? The very first Starbucks store was located in Seattle in America, 2000 Western Avenue and it was from 1971 for 1976. When choosing a name for their stores, the owners wanted a name beginning with the letters ST. They chose the name Starbuck, who was the first mate of the Pequod, the ship in the famous novel of Moby Dick by Herman Melville. <coughs> While we're on about coffee shops, Sergio Costa founded a coffee roastery in Fenchurch Street, London in 1971, supplying local caterers. The family had moved to England from Palmer, Italy in the 1950s, Costa branched out to selling coffee and opened their first Costa shop in Vauxhall Bridge Road, London in 1981. His company was later bought by Whitbreads in 2009 and then in 2019 was taken over by Coca-Cola. And Boots the chemist started life when John Boot opened his first store in Nottingham in 1849. It was called the British and American Botanic Establishment back then and sold herbal remedies to Nottingham's industrial poor at a time when traditional drugs were beyond the reach of many. This well-known logo is seen internationally now too and there aren't many towns here that don't boast of boots either. Marks and Spencer, or M&S as we know it, was born in 1884 when the immigrant Michael Mark opened a stall at Kirkgate Market in Leeds. He built his success using the slogan, Don't ask the price, it's a penny. Michael joined forces with Tom Spencer, and from this partnership, Marks and Spencer and his first Penny Bazaar stores were here. And not forgetting Woolworths, our good old Woolies, to, or give it its proper name of F.W. Woolworth, which sadly has disappeared from the high street now, of course, first appeared in Liverpool in 1909. Frank Woolworth bought the idea of America's five and dime stores over from the States to sell his goods here and they were priced at three old pence or six old pence. It was a roaring success, leading to the growth of Woolies nationwide. And what about Greggs then? Over 80 years ago, John Gregg started out with one goal, to deliver, by push bike, fresh eggs and yeast to the families of Newcastle. Greggs is another high street success story, grown from humble beginnings. It stopped selling loaves, however, in 2013, as it couldn't compete with supermarket prices and concentrated on its food-to-go products, and it's thought now that it sells more cups of coffee than Starbucks. Well, folks, there you go then, the potted history of the shops in our towns. It's interesting to see the rags and riches stories behind the famous logos, though, in it. Any road up look, I'm off. I think I'll nip down to Greg's and get me a couple of sausage rolls. 
till next week then, I'll just say bye for now. Try a bit. Ta-da! Up now we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, come rain or shine, by our own Sunny Mina. weather for this week ahead is forecast to remain unsettled, but still rather mild. UV levels are expected to remain low. The sunrise and sunset times are 7.40am for the sunrise and 17.10 for the sunset. Friday 2nd of February is forecast to be lovely, dry and the sunny day, but with a gentle and moderate breeze. Temperatures are forecast to be surprisingly mild, peaking at around 13 degrees. Moving on, and it looks like the rainfall will be back with us by the end of the weekend, with plenty of light rain showers accompanying the sunny spells over the weekend. But with a moderate breeze coming in from the southwest, temperatures will remain mild all around 13 degrees on both Saturday and Sunday with Saturday looking like it has the better chance of remaining dry. On to next week, and it looks like we'll be welcoming in the new month with a spell of wet weather and plenty of light rain and drizzle. It is forecast for rain to remain in the region on Monday 5th of February and continue right through to Thursday 8th of February. With a moderate breeze coming in from the west, temperatures may feel a little cooler, around 8 degrees, and the winds may also become a little stronger, with a chance of some gusts returning as we progress through the week. So, please do take care. That's your forecast for this week. As always, where possible, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Now it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. Disgraceful scenes of crowd disorder marred the Black Country derby and halted play for 38 minutes as Wolves beat West Brom in the FA Cup at the Hawthorns. Fighting erupted close to the area in the stands reserved for the players' families, while missiles were also thrown by both sets of supporters following the visitors' second goal. In the first match between the two sides in front of fans since 2012, Mateus Cunha's 78th-minute effort sealed the fourth-round victory for Wolves, who had taken a first-half lead through Pedro Neto. But the tension in the stands that had been simmering from before kickoff spilled over. Missiles were thrown into and from the visitors' section, and before play could resume, fighting began at the other end of the field, leading to both teams leaving the field. As stewards and police attempted to restore order, West Brom defender Kyle Bartley was spotted emerging from that area of the ground with a child in his arms. Another supporter was escorted out of a home area with blood streaming down his face as medical staff tried to stem a wound to the top of his head. A further fan was taken out of the stadium on a stretcher, 
although he appeared to be in good spirits. Fans were told to return to their seats on numerous occasions, and respective managers Carlos Corberan and Gary O'Neill were both seen talking to stadium officials and police representatives before the teams returned. Wolves held their opponents at bay for the remaining 12 minutes to take their place in the last 16, although that was of secondary consequence on a day that brought back scenes many thought had disappeared from the English game and seemed sure to bring a heavy punishment from the Football Association. After waiting almost 12 years to witness this particular local derby in person, the respective sets of fans were ready to make a racket from well before kickoff. With the teams back in the dressing room after the warm-up, West Brom's distinctive Boilerman mascot was virtually alone on the pitch when he came to the Wolves' supporters' attentions. Their reaction was not positive, which was in line with much of the chanting as the players came out and the game began. Wolves defender Craig Dawson continued to be booed every time he touched the ball deep into the contest, even though he gave the Baggies eight years excellent service and remained with the club for a year after their relegation from the top flight in 2018. Neto's goal was accompanied by two bright orange flares being thrown from the stand, housing the 4,000-strong visiting contingent, and heads turned as security scurried to sort out a situation that broke out in the main stand too. Water bottles thrown at Wolves midfielder Tommy Doyle as he went to take a second-half corner did not reflect well on the home supporters responsible. Yet this, as needless as it was, hardly merited attention compared to what followed Mateus Cunha's goal. Even as police tried to bring order to the situation, extra stewards were called into the affected areas and the stadium announcer appealed for supporters to return to their seats. The ferocious chanting continued. Thankfully, once the game finally restarted, no supporters came onto the field at the final whistle. Wolves' victory was significant in the sense it was their first against West Brom in the FA Cup since 1949, and their first at the Hawthorne since 1996. Although West Brom have dominated these matches, the infrequency of recent meetings has coincided with the huge swing in fortune we all know so well. While Wolves' Chinese ownership has delivered European football, renewed commitment and through manager Gary O'Neill, virtual Premier League safety and financial stability, the Baggies' future is less certain. Having borrowed more money from lenders MSD in November and given Albion are no longer in receipt of parachute payments, the Baggies face an uncertain future if want-out owner Guachuan Lai cannot find a buyer. Skipper Jed Wallace is one of the Baggies' most saleable assets, and it was the 29-year-old that Alex Mowat was trying to find with the corner that led to Wolves' opener. Wallace had dropped deep for the pre-planned set piece, but Matt Doherty read it, intercepted, and set Neto free. The Portugal star wasn't smooth in his approach to the Baggies' box, but after cutting inside from the right, he eventually got enough control to evade two Albion challenges and send a stunning low shot into the bottom right-hand corner beyond the sprawling dive of Josh Griffiths. Brandon Thomas Asante wasted the baggie's best opportunity to equalise, blazing over from the edge of the area. Thomas Asante and Wallace both also had headers saved by Jose Saar before Neto had broken the deadlock. Mateus Cunha's goal was also a moment of quality. A very clever finish angled across the goal through goalkeeper Griffiths' legs, 
following an incisive breakaway and through ball from captain Max Kilman, although by then the energy had gone out of West Brom's play. Sadly, by the end of one of the most shameful days in the history of this rivalry, the images which have stuck most in the mind were not of the two pieces of brilliance from Pedro Neto and Mateus Cunha, which earned Wolves a first win at the Hawthorns for nearly 28 years. If there was a positive to be found, it came from the players and head coaches Gary O'Neill and Carlos Corberan. The action on the field was everything a derby should be, hard fought but fair. It ended with handshakes and the clear message to those who still can't quite seem to understand, it is only a game. West Brom are now left to pursue their playoff push and Wolves can dream of going to Wembley. But there was nothing uplifting about this horrible occasion. The most anticipated 90 minutes in the black country for more than a decade will be remembered for the 38 when no football took place. Now, here come the quiz answers and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question 1. In what novel does Starbuck appear as first mate? The answer, it was Moby Dick. Question 2. What was Mr Costa's first name? And the answer here is, it was Sergio. Question 3. In what year did John Boot open his first shop? And the answer here is 1849. Question 4. What was Michael Mark's first slogan? And the answer here is, he said, Don't ask the price, it's a penny. Question 5. What was the proper name for what we called Woolies? And the answer here is, it was F.W. Woolworth. And finally, question six. In what year did Greg stop selling loaves of bread? And the answer, it was in 2013. Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you all once again. Bye for now. Cheers for those, Mina. Up now is another Beacon update. Beacon Lifestyle Newsletter. It's February 2024. Happy New Year! Have a look through the latest newsletter. Hopefully there'll be some activities that take your interest. Remember, keep spreading the love. It is the love month. 
The drop-in session in the Residence Lounge will be Thursday the 1st of February, 10 to half 10. Come along and book onto any activities. And please remember if you want to receive this newsletter in any different format, just contact The Beacon on 01902 880 111. Love you. Monthly sessions. A little bit of housekeeping to begin with. A few reminders that we will no longer be invoicing for any sports, social or community activities. We now have a card machine, float and online payment system to allow you all to pay when you book on or attend an activity. Any non-attendance without prior cancellation will be charged. Please ensure you have cash or a card available to pay for activities when you book or arrive at an activity. All transport costs will still be invoiced. Thursday, 1st of February, book club in the Residence Lounge at the Beacon Centre, Sedgley, 10.30am to 12pm. Please note the new start time. The cost is £2. Wednesday, 7th of February, Mary's Movement Class, a seated, standing class, working the whole body with cardio, weights and strength to your ability. It's fun and friendly with your music choice. 10.30 to 11.30am, based in the gym at Beacon, the class cost is £4.50. Friday, 9th of February, walking around Stourbridge and the surrounding areas. This walk is on pavements, grass, hills and uneven surfaces and should take approximately two to three hours. The activity cost is £2, minibus cost is £5, leaving Beacon at 10.30am and returning at approximately 2.30 to 3pm. If you are meeting us in Stourbridge, please head to the Stanley Road car park, Stanley Road, Stourbridge, DY8 2DN. We will meet you in the car park, weather permitting. Monday, 12th of February. We should be running another new circuit class at Beacon Gym. The session will run from 11am to 12pm and will allow for use of all gym equipment with a fun circuit included. Get set for an enjoyable, loud and sweaty gym session. The cost is £4.50 per person. Wednesday the 14th and Monday the 26th of February, swimming at Burt Williams Centre Bilston, WV14 0EF. 10.45 to 11.45am, we have a private lane just for Beacon users. All abilities are welcome. The activity cost is £6 and the minibus cost is £5. It departs at 10.15am and returns at 1pm. Lockers are a pound or a trolley coin. Friday, 16th of February, 10-pin bowling at Castlegate Dudley, EY14TA, 11am to 1pm. All abilities welcome with a friendly and fun atmosphere for social bowling. Trip cost is £2. Activity cost is £6.45 for two games paying at the bowling alley on the day. Minibus cost £5, departs at 10.30am and returns at 2pm, invoiced by Beacon. Friday, 23rd of February, walking round West Park, Wolverhampton, WV1 4SQ. From 11am to 12pm, 
for a leisurely walk and 12 to 1pm to catch up in the cafe. Take it at your own pace and complete your own chosen distance on a paved flat route. We'll meet at the Connaught Road gate entrance and the activity cost is £2. Minibus cost £5, departs at 10.30am and returns at 1.30pm, invoiced by Beacon. Volunteer guides are available, weather permitting. All activities must be booked in advance with Mary by calling 01902-880-111. What's on this month? Extra activities this month, we have two special activities. On Thursday the 22nd of February, we're off to Mary Hill. Now I know what you're thinking, that's massive. No, we're going to a special part. It's called Station Drive, which is at the top of the Mary Hill Centre. So the shops up there are the Range, Home Sense, Home Bargains, Next to Home, Pets at Home. So all we're doing is visiting the outside complex. The activity cost is £2. The minibus cost is £5. We depart at 10 o'clock sharp and return at 2.45. The minibus cost is still invoiced. We are popping to have lunch at the Round Oak Briley Hill, which is just opposite where we are going, which is a carvery and a menu. Why not come and join us? Wednesday the 28th of February is Cosford. We have a private tactile tour at Cosford. Our tour is about the Battle of Britain and will be led by a special tour guide. The activity will cost between £5 and £10 depending on how many people booked on. There is a minimum requirement of people. I will inform you of the price prior to the activity. The minibus cost is £7 if you want to come with us. It departs at 10 and returns at 2.30. This will obviously be invoiced by Beacon. The tour is quarter past 11 till quarter past 12. All Brighton Garden Centre is literally down the corner, so we're going there for lunch. If you are meeting us at Cosford and parking there, please remember you will need to pay for your parking and pre-book it. The cost for the parking, if you are driving there, is £6.50, but please talk to me about it. VIP Group. We are a group of working age people and or people who live independently with sight loss that meet once a month for a social gathering. We're a friendly bunch that likes to try new activities, build friendships and encourage others to live life to the full. Hiya! On Wednesday the 28th of February is our VIP night. We shall be enjoying a musical masterclass in the restaurant at Beacon Court as we welcome Ukes on the Edge. Ukes on the Edge, who are based in Kimba, are a ukulele group for beginners, intermediate or fully experienced players. The group will be performing a whole repertoire of songs and they will also be holding an interactive session, giving us all an opportunity to try playing the ukulele. The activity cost is £3.00. We were starting at 6pm and finishing at 8pm. So note, the coffee bar will also be open on that night for refreshments. So if all this strikes a chord, please do come along and join us for some fabulous fun. Now then, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Well, it's lights, camera and action. Because we've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to work alongside a local organisation called the Black Country Touring. And it's with great excitement that I'm able to let you know that Black Country Touring have offered us the opportunity to trial their pop-up cinema experience for six months. This is a truly unique activity, and I really hope that you're all just as excited to get involved as we are. Commencing in February, our dedicated cinema days will be the third Thursday of each month. 
films will start at 11am and will be projected onto a screen at the residence lounge at the Beacon Court WV46AZ. For each screening, we'll have an option of films to choose from. And don't worry about the snack, because popcorn will be supplied. Each month, the cost will be £5. If you require transport, please book this in advance with Mary. The dedicated dates for screening are as follows. Thursday the 15th of February, Thursday the 21st of March, Thursday the 18th of April, Thursday the 16th of May, Thursday the 20th of June, and Thursday the 18th of July. And just a note, for the 15th of February, we should be starting the pop-up cinema experience off with the movie The Great Showman, and it's inclusive of audio description too. If you're struggling with reading and need a magnifier, have you ever considered a video magnifier, or sometimes known as a digital magnifier? Well, we can have a range of video magnifiers that you can come in and try. Now, a video magnifier, you can increase or decrease the magnification so you can turn it up a bit, or you can turn it up quite a lot to help you read. You can change contrast settings on a video magnifier, so you can look at something in true colour, or you could change the contrast to black on white, or white on black, or yellow on black, or black on yellow. It's whatever works best for you, so there's a range of combinations there that you can try to find the right one. You can also freeze images on a video magnifier. So let's say there's um, something in your fridge, a piece of some food, you could take a little picture because the angle's a bit difficult to read of it and then bring the magnifier away and then zoom it up. So if it's something like the sell-by dates or ingredients on food, you can read it comfortably there. So video magnifiers range from small handheld magnifiers you can sit comfortably in an armchair to read with up to medium-sized ones, which is about the size of laptops. And then there's desktop magnifiers with big, large 24-inch screens which really make magnification strong. So, if you would like to try a video magnifier to see if that would help you, you're very welcome to. Just call Beacon's Sight Loss Advisors for an appointment. And remember, bring something you struggle to read with you. So if you'd like to try a video magnifier, give us a call on 01902 880111 and ask for a Sight Loss Advisor. 01902 880111 Are you interested? This month's page is about the Grand Theatre in Wolverhampton. They are committed to making their theatre as accessible as possible and offer a range of services to aid those who have additional needs to gain access to the theatre so they can experience it. In partnership with the Arena Theatre, which is at Wolverhampton University, they run an active access group, which runs every three months. I am representing Beacon currently, but I'd love people to join with me who are visually impaired. The next meeting is in April. The meeting lasts for up to two hours and is normally on a Monday. And we meet at the Grand Theatre or at the Arena Theatre and we discuss opportunities for accessibility within the arts. They would love your input, feedback and support. 
Would you like to help represent the Beacon with Mary? February's Meet the Staff is Helena Dean. Helena works on reception and has worked for Beacon for six and a half years. Before joining the charity, she worked in the banking and finance industry, spending 26 years at Barclays Bank. She works 15 hours a week on Beacon Reception and she told us she has a varied role meeting lots of different people, providing help and support to those who are vulnerable, submitting referrals to different areas of the organisation, making a difference, seeing someone's progress and gain confidence really gives her great job satisfaction. Away from work, she loves spending time with her family and friends, eating at restaurants, going to the theatre, walking and doing Pilates. Up until the last 10 years, she had spent 30 years playing the sax and clarinet, of which 16 years were with a dance band previously known as the Bobby Johnson Big Band. She would perform every Saturday evening at various venues, starting with pubs and clubs, moving on to town halls and even reaching the Tower Ballroom and the famous Ronnie Scott's Club in Birmingham. She would go on tours for weeks each year, performing open-air concerts all over Europe, including France, Germany, Belgium, Holland and Austria. What a talented lady she is. The experience enabled her to make lifelong friends, happy memories. She loves live music and she is a massive fan of Strictly. Make sure if you're at the Beacon Centre on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday, pop to reception and say hello to Helena. Sedgley Lifestyle Centre. We are open Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday from 10am to 3pm at our base in Sedgley. We run several activities each day, including cookery, crafting, pottery, computer work, gym sessions, listening to music, quizzes and reminiscing. We keep well hydrated with tea, coffee and water and we have the restaurant to attend to for a hot meal if we don't bring our sandwiches with us. We are lively, fun and love to have a laugh. Why not come and join us for a trial day? Contact Beacons Reception and ask for more information. You can call us on 01902 880 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. VIP Queen's Cross. We are a friendly group of visually impaired people who enjoy socialising and welcome new members to join us. We meet on the first Friday of every month from 1pm to 3pm at Queen's Cross, Wellington Road, Dudley, DY1, 1RB, in the Café Plaza, where drinks and refreshments can be purchased if required. Each month we have different activities, craft sessions, quizzes, guest speakers and meals out. There will be a fee of £3 for each session to help cover running costs. This will be invoiced for at the end of each month. Thanks, Angela. And just a quick reminder for what's on this month. As requested in our last meeting, we have organised a date to attend the production of Cinderella at Stourbridge Town Hall. This will be on Tuesday the 13th of February, with the show beginning at 10am and finishing around 12.30pm. We will be meeting attendees outside the hall at 9.30am. If you are interested in finding out more about attending the sessions, please contact Mina Sahota on 01902-880-111 or email msahota at beaconvision.org to book a place. 
And finally, just a quick reminder, there is still accommodation at Beacon Court. Beacon Court is located in Sedgley, just a short distance from Wolverhampton City Centre. We have parks, local shops and public transport links right on our doorstep, offering you comfort, security and convenience alongside the independent living and a wide variety of choices. Each home has its own front door, individual access card, two bedrooms, a store, a wet shower room a lounge with kitchen and appliances, gas central heating, UVBC glazed windows. Beacon provides a 24-7 care team on site to deal with any emergencies 365 days a year and there's a pull cord in each apartment that you help raise an emergency. You also get a 30-minute-a-week wellbeing post call from either Suki or Amanda and they help go through things like your post, paying bills and just giving you some extra support. If you or you know of anyone else who might be interested, please call Bromford on 01902 882 170 to speak to the scheme manager. Regarding getting in touch with Beacon, we have our website, which is www.beaconvision.org, Facebook at Beacon Centre, Twitter at Beacon Centre, Instagram at Beacon Vision. Our main address for the building in Sedgley is Wolverhampton Road East, WV46AZ. And don't forget, if you want to opt out of receiving this newsletter, please contact The Beacon on 01902 880 111. Have a fabulous month. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!